Well, good evening, everyone. Whether you're here in the room, whether you're online, we want to welcome you to Element City Church. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Lyle, and I am the worship director here. Uh, so I just want to thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're new and you're online, we just want to let you know we've got some hosts uh, who are hosting each and every week uh, so that they can answer any questions that you might have that you pop into the chat. So tonight, I believe it's Jessica. So uh, you can just type in there, hi, Jessica, and she'd be happy to get back to you. Uh, if you need prayer, anything like that, uh, she can get back to you on all of those things as well. So uh, for those who are new again, we'd love to, to tell you about the app, the Element City Church app that's in the Apple uh, App Store. It's in the Google Play Store. You can get that to get, uh, gosh, news updates. You can see about events. You can uh, give through that. Uh, but what's really important there is the connection card. So uh, you can fill that out. That way we can get to know a little bit more about who you are, tell you more about us, and just see if we're a good fit, you know? That's what it's all about these days, isn't it? Is this the right thing? So, uh, yeah, not too much to announce to begin with tonight because uh, we just want to get right into it. So we just want to thank you uh, for being here. So let's all stand together. We're going to pray for our church of the week, and we're going to uh, go into some worship. Jack's going to teach tonight uh, as well, continuing our prodigal series. Uh, so tonight's church of the week, it's Thornydale Family Church and their pastor, Pat Damiani is who we're going to be praying for. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for the work that you want to do in our hearts and in our lives as we gather together to worship. And so we just, we want to champion the name of Jesus above every other name tonight. Um, he's the reason that we gather. He's the reason that we lift our voices. Uh, your word says that in him all things are held together. By him all things were made. Uh, and so at, at the name of Jesus, we know that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And tonight we choose uh, to make that confession ourselves. Uh, we want to pray for Thornydale Family Church and Pastor Pat there, Lord. We pray your blessing over them. We ask that you would uh, just continue to provide for them uh, financially, that you would provide for them all the people that they need so that they can do the work that they want to do in the community where they're uh, located, God. Would you increase their influence and increase their ability to love their neighbors, to serve their neighbors, and just to point people to you, Jesus, uh, in the same way that we desire to do that here at Elements, God. So would your Holy Spirit come tonight and be present among us as we gather to worship? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing Darkness 
Down from glory to where my sin and death. 
that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. it all when you gave your life and died on a cross for our sins for our own shame you took it upon yourself and in so doing you restored this beautiful relationship with the father uh, for us to enter into and so I just pray tonight God that uh, as we continue to worship through the word that you would speak to all of us Lord that your word uh, would go to forth boldly I would just cover over us, Lord, uh, that we would hear the message that we need to hear tonight, that would encourage us, that would give us the hope that we need, the strength that we need uh, to develop into the people you want us to be. And so for any of us who 
who are just far from you, God, who may have been running from you, I pray that tonight we'd be found. Lord, that we would stop uh, trying to search for you and that maybe our prayer would just shift to, God, would you find me? Yes, Lord, just find us right where we're at tonight. And so if you're up for it, just take a moment to pray for yourself. Ask God to speak to you tonight, to find you where you're at, to give you the words you need to hear. Take a moment to pray for Pastor Jack as he comes to speak. Ask God to anoint him. Ask God to anoint this message and to use it uh, to be a blessing and a challenge to all of us tonight. God. We just give you this time. We love you and trust you. So do what only you can do and take the dead heart and make it come to life again, Lord. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. It is good to have you here uh, in the house, and those of you joining us online, uh, it's great to have you um, popping in and being a part of this worship time and experience. So if you are new, uh, we worship a little bit, we're going to look into God's Word here, and we're going to end with a little bit of worship, and so that's kind of what tonight is unfolding. You're kind of popping in, if you're new, to a series we've been in the last, uh, this month, looking at uh, the prodigal, which is, I think, one of the most famous stories or, or parables that Jesus tells. Often it's called the prodigal son story. And yet we see in Luke 15 this powerful, um, powerful story building combination of three parables that Jesus actually tells. Some scholars believe it was actually one complete story, not just three separate ones. We've got building on one another and actually getting to a place of addressing something and a growing tension that was building within it. So we've talked about that a little bit. We looked at uh, the, the man who had two sons, right? And last week we looked at this first son who we, we kind of said had grabbed a pair of track shoes and took off running far away from the father. And yet when his life kind of was a train wreck and it hit uh, kind of the ground uh, and just kind of bottomed out. He, he made his way back and the father exceeded his expectations and running to him and embracing him, bringing him back in as a son. And yet we know there's a second part to the story. And, and what's interesting tonight is we look into the elder brother's part of the story of the story that Jesus tells. Um, it it kind of pushes back at people who um, are religious people. Because the reality is what Jesus is addressing here is pretty profound, and it pushes back against people who are struggling to see something that's actually so close they're missing it. And I don't know if you've ever struggled with vision before. Um, anyone ever struggled with their vision before? Maybe uh, it was in a storm, right? And you're driving in the storm. We just got back from California as we were making our way over there on Monday going through a storm and coming over the mountain pass, and literally you could not see probably 50 yards. 
And so everyone had slowed down from, you know, 75 miles an hour to about 40 miles an hour as we're crawling down the mountain, trying not to, to swerve off the road or to hit the person in front of you. Maybe you, you have struggled with vision in the middle of the night as you have awoken yourself to deal with a crying baby or to, to go to the restroom type thing, and you've got all the eye boogers that are in your eyes, and you're trying to adjust to vision of how you see things, right? Uh, maybe you've struggled with your glasses being so smeared and so smudged that it's hard to see. Whatever your struggle with vision is, sometimes it's hard to see what's so close to you. And, and what seems obvious, we sometimes miss. Uh, like the 67-year-old lady who was going in for cataract surgery, and, and normal surgery, and yet she was struggling with what she deemed kind of dry eye syndrome and kind of this idea of just being uncomfortable with her eyes. And, and it wasn't like horrible to the place that she was trying to seek out doctors, but in this course of surgery, she was like, maybe this will help address it. Maybe I'm just getting older and, and whatever this may be. And the uh, anesthesiologist kind of is beginning to induce her with some drugs to kind of put her to sleep. And you know what they do with it, the eye clamp. If you've ever had eye surgery, ever Googled it, um, it's like they put this clamp that holds your eye open and the anesthesiologist is beginning to numb that part of her face and her eye and then he noticed it. And he's like, I, I don't know if that doesn't seem right. And, and he called the technician over and she looked and she gasped. And, and they asked the lady, are you having problems seeing? And she said, no, I, I just, I, I feel like, you know, something's off a little bit. And, and they're like, oh, Okay, and they looked a little closer and the doctor came in and began to peel back one and two and three and four. And anyone here wear contacts? So this lady, for 35 years, has worn disposable contact lenses. And occasionally she would drop one and thought, well, I can't find it and I don't know where it went and all that kind of stuff. But what they found that day is 27 contact lenses under her eyelid that had been there for who knows how long. I mean, isn't that disgusting? Isn't that like kind of gory story? I just love that story. Um, because it's the reality of that, okay, something was so close and yet she couldn't see it. And that's really what I want you to keep in mind as we go through the second part of the story. Because the first part of the story is what catches our eye, and it's actually what captivates us. Because the first part of the prodigal story is like where all the gasp moments would have been as Jesus is telling the story. It's, it's the younger son who basically wishes his father dead to his face. It's this blatant disrespect that everybody can see. And it would have been this gasp moment as it's addressed in this story. It's this son who takes off and squanders everything, wasted all, loses everything, and this Jewish boy ends up in the pig pen of life. And his, his life is like this train wreck, and if you've ever seen it, it's hard to look away. And that's kind of what people are seeing, and so much of our attention is so often focused on the younger brother or the younger son in the story. But this is a story of a man who had two sons. One was completely lost. We kind of looked at this idea of he grabbed his track shoes, took off, and far away, as far away from the father as he could go until the bottom dropped out. And it says in the text that he came to his senses, that somewhere along the line, he got to the place where he came to his senses, began to turn back in the direction of the father, just really kind of hoping to become kind of a servant on the property or on the estate of what the father owned. He's not worthy to be a son, and yet we see the father running to him and embracing him and exchanging his track shoes 
for the sandals of a son and bringing him back in and the party has started and we tend to focus on his story. But friends, Jesus has a different focus. His focus is on part two, the second brother. The reason we know that is because how this whole chapter starts. The entire chapter of Luke 15 starts with this growing tension between the religious leaders of the day and Jesus. And here's what it is. Can I remind you? Verse 1, now the tax collectors and the sinners, those who are kind of labeled as far away from God or ungodly kind of people, they were gathering around Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the, the religious people of the day muttered. It's never good when muttering is going on. This man welcomes sinners and actually eats with them. To eat with someone. Was a sign of, of being in relationship with, of longing to be with someone, to connect on a way that was so much more than just passing by in an acquaintance. This man welcomes these and even eats with them. When the Pharisees saw Jesus loving, receiving, and forgiving those that they hated, that they deemed unworthy, they began to rebel against it. Worse yet, they failed to see their own need for grace and forgiveness because sometimes our heart conditions, the strongest ones, are the hardest ones to see. It's so close and yet we miss it. See, blatant selfishness, that's easy to spot. And that's the first part of the story. The younger son is a deep study in selfishness. When he finally comes to his senses, he returns home. The tax collectors and sinners who were gathering around Jesus probably heard this part of the story. It was like, man, at least the father welcomes them home. That's way more than I should ever expect. That maybe when I'm done with my appalling selfishness, maybe, if, maybe God will still take a chance on me. Because the father is so different than what is perceived. Why? Because Jesus said it best a couple chapters later. The Son of Man said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. This one's blatantly lost, like obviously lost, and then becomes found. But this is a man who has two sons. There is a condition that is remarkably pervasive and often accepted, especially in religious circles, where the sufferers don't even see the problem that's requiring treatment. And so we want to be a people who are following after Jesus, who don't let this become the issue with us. Because the church has seen this on display. And so in Luke 15, the story turns and the great physician begins to point his scalpel, the sharpest one, toward the intent because Jesus' focus is not the first son. That is a focus and it matters. But the reason he's telling these three stories in a row was all a setup for what follows next. Here's what happens. Meanwhile, so the story is unfolded, right? We, we understand the first part of the story. The prodigal son comes home. The father overexceeds his expectations, meets in. There's a party being thrown in the entire village. Everyone's invited. But meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called over one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Uh, why all the commotion 
happening. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he is home safe and sound. So let's just stop right there. According to Jewish custom, the older brother is the one who gets the biggest part of the inheritance. So he actually stands to be the most to gain in this particular moment, having his brother back, because he means he would have a freshly humbled whole partner that would help care for the estate as the father passes on. Most importantly, the older brother is the one who has spent the most time around the father. Surely he figures out in this tale that he's the one that's going to reflect the father's heart more, that he's absorbed what the father's heart is truly like. So obviously he's going to be overjoyed that his brother has made it home. Thank God you're here, and he rushes in to the house. Is that what happens? No. In fact, in Luke 15, what we read is the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He digs his heels in, says this isn't right. This is all wrong. And both figuratively and physically, he refuses to enter into the father's home or to come near to the father's heart. And something is wrong. See, what you have to understand in the ancient Near East, like to refuse to attend a feast that's thrown by your father is basically flipping the bird at your father. In, in an honor society, it's, it's the worst of what you can do. It's teetering, he's teetering on the same line of contemptuous disrespect that his brother had already crossed when he left home in the first place. And the fathers, if they're normal in any period, would just, he would be in a heap of trouble. But this father is not like normal fathers. His heart is gracious. And the father is not like ordinary people. And he actually goes out and he pleads with the older son. And the very same act of trying to close the distance relationally with his sons. One, he meets on his way back as he comes to his senses and overexceeds his expectations and welcomes him in. The other, he goes out to as they stew and brew about resentment and unforgiveness. And even there he pleads, won't you come in? This party is for you as well. Won't you come in? And he's pleading. He's the prodigal father. Uh, Timothy Keller writes a book called The Prodigal God. Remember, we define prodigal as one who is extravagant or reckless or even wasteful. That's the definition of it. We often associate it with the prodigal son who wasted everything. But the reality is the most reckless and extravagant one here is the father. He's the prodigal father who's extravagant with his love, wanting to have relationship with his sons. He goes out and he pleads, won't you come in? My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad. Your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. Won't you come in? But the elder son answered him, look, 
all these years, I have been slaving for you. And I have never disobeyed any order of your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property and wasted it on prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf and invite the whole village for the party. The tension is rising here. Now think about it. Uh, what he's actually highlighting is the shoes that he's wearing. His brother took the track shoes, took off and ran. He's put on the work boots, and he's gone to work to try to appease and perform for the Father. The reality is, neither son actually has a relationship with the Father. One has distanced themselves, came to their senses, and come home. The other has been content to be in proximity with the Father, but there is no relationship. They've missed the very thing that they're meant to have. He appears to be working faithfully, even heroically, for his father's interest, never asking for anything. For this reason, a lot of times, we look at him and his plight in this story, and we actually kind of identify and feel like, yeah, he's kind of missing out. We understand his outrage and hurt and his sense of utter injustice at his loser brother who suddenly gets all these kinds of blessings that he's done nothing to earn. And while the elder brother has done so much, but what's being introduced in this story from Jesus is that there's another kind of lost. And it actually is a lostness that even allows you to have proximity around, but you are actually not with the Father. You're just is lost. If you look closer at the elder brother, what he's saying here is he considers that his work that he's been doing for the father's household is this act of slaving rather than the act of sunning. This is what sons do as they live with their father. He stresses the fact that he's never disobeyed the father's orders rather than describing how he has sought to live after the father's heart. He's upset that his father has never given him anything so that he can appreciate and party with his friends, apparently unconscious to the reality that the greatest reward has been with him the whole time, the father. And he's been trying to manipulate by wearing the work boots. I just want the father's things. The other son grabbed the track shoes, said, I just want the father's things, and I'm going to take off. And this one, I'll be around, but I just want the father's things. Neither son actually wants the father. But the father has wanted them all along. Timothy Keller writes this. Do you realize then what Jesus is teaching? Neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God by alienating yourself by him, by breaking all the rules, or by keeping all the rules diligently. The Father doesn't desire our proximity. He desires our heart and our relational connection. Christianity, you may have heard, is about a relationship, not a religion. See, religion can end up promoting a lifestyle that actually breeds proximity around the Father, uh, duties that we think will appease the Father, but in the end, if we miss connecting relationally with the Father, We've missed it all. And we've done a lot of stuff. It's like running on a treadmill. 
you go nowhere. And yet you've done a lot of effort and a lot of work. Jesus is saying there's only one way to the Father. It's recognizing that you need him. It's recognizing that he longs to be in relationship with you, and he doesn't want you just close. He wants you connected. He, he's inviting you into his party, into relationship with him. Jesus said this elsewhere, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know the Father. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. If you want to know what God's really like, look at Jesus. He's putting God on full display for all to see. See, the younger son's heart burns with obvious selfishness. The elder's brother heart, however, is afflicted with something that's so much harder to see. Because it's not blatant. It's not broadcasting everywhere. It actually is at the core of the self-righteousness of heart. He thinks he's good. He secretly congratulates himself on how good he is. He stews on how much he deserves for being this good. He boils at all the people who get breaks and blessings despite the fact that they are not as good as he is. And this self-righteousness blinds him to seeing that when it comes to taking in true grace and the goodness of the Father's heart, reflecting that to others, it begins with recognizing that you need him. And he is as abysmally lost as his younger brother. It's this other kind of lostness. Keller writes in his book that many churches are congregations of elder brothers, in spite of the fact that we have been surrounded by the gospel of God's grace, many of us have refused to enter into the Father's house or to grow the Father's heart. We've been content with proximity around the Father, trying to perform for God's affection and working to outperform everyone else. Somehow we have not bought the idea, the belief, the truth that in the household of God, it's acceptance that precedes obedience. Because that's not how it works in our world. In our world, it's about, okay, I obey and then I get accepted. But the kingdom of God is not of this world. It's completely different. And it's this invitation to be accepted, that the Father runs to meet you, not after you clean up, but while you still need cleaning up. A recognition of humility that says, I, I, need, I need the Father. If the Father meeting us at that place to say, I accept you. And now let your obedience come out of gratitude, of being accepted and welcomed in and invited into the party. Even though Jesus repeatedly declares throughout the gospel accounts, throughout the New, um, the New Testament writers kind of follow up that God's love and grace comes to people before they ever clean up, that it's obedience, his, his way of kind of living out the gratitude of being accepted from God. We're convinced in our hearts that obedience has to come first, that we must do all these things in order to gain God's acceptance. And on one level, that can appear like great humility. But on a whole other level, it's a very dangerous kind of arrogance that begins to grow in our heart to say, I deserve, I deserve more because I'm the one working hard. I'm the one who's appeasing 
the heart of the Father and his commands. We think that by our good deeds, we deserve. Listen to the older brother's complaint. All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. See, when, what the older brother is saying is that the father revealed his expectation. He's revealing, I want justice, not mercy. I want things to be just. And here's what I would challenge you, friends. You don't want justice from a holy and perfect God. Because I don't care how big your boots are, they're not big enough. You don't want God's justice. What you really want is God's mercy. His mercy is far greater and far better off for you than for his justice to say. He was saying that their relationship was one based on reciprocity. I've done this, so now you should do this. It's not based on love. It's based on work and reward. And friends, you, you don't want that kind of relationship with God. You don't want reciprocity. Because I don't care how big your work boots are, they're never going to be big enough. You don't want that pressure. Keller writes this, if like the elder brother you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you've worked hard to obey him and to be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper and he may be your example or even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving and acting as your own savior. And that is a dangerous place to be. Because I don't care how big your boots are. They're not going to be big enough. See, there's four evidences that kind of come out of the elder brother's character that we see in this story that really helps capture kind of the character of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They had defined their own righteousness. In other words, they have excelled at keeping all the rules that they thought were important. I've never disobeyed you. I've done it all. It was obviously an exaggeration. Anyone's kid ever said that? I've never done anything wrong. Really? Really? See, you've kept all the rules, quote-unquote, that you've deemed important. Pharisees are masters at recognizing the sin of others, but are often blinded to their own. We don't want to be a people who are blinded to our own, to recognize we need grace, we need mercy. We don't want justice. We need the mercy. He showed a lack of concern for his brother. His attitude stands in stark contrast to the celebration of the moment that was going on. What's happening here? A party for my brother? And then he doesn't even recognize him as his brother. He says, that son of yours who wasted it all. And, and there's no sense. He doesn't care about the father's happiness. He isn't worried about the brother. He only has thought for his own recognition. You're not recognizing me in my effort. I've been wearing the work boots. I've been the one who's done the work. And I don't feel celebrated enough. You ever been there? My hunch is, if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, there may be moments where you feel that. Let that be a caution to you, to me. 
that we're beginning to, to trade out the sandals of a son or the sandals of a daughter that's accepted because the father just accepts you. And, and you're beginning to try to put on the work boots to earn. And you're never going to be able to work hard enough. And you don't need to. He shows a lack of concern for his brother. He's full of self-righteous anger and refuses to share in the celebration. In some ways, he's kind of like the prophet Jonah. Jonah eventually does what God had bidden him to do, but he did it with resentment in the heart, and he hated the Ninevites that he was sent to. The older brother has served his father, but obviously does not have his heart. And there's a difference. He had an unforgiving heart. He wouldn't forgive his brother for his liciousness or his father for his graciousness. He was somewhere stuck in no man's land in the middle. And that's a bad place to be. In fact, it actually begins to breed if, in religious people. If, if we ever get to the place where the grace of Jesus becomes ho-hum or begins to fade, and then we are dangerously teetering on leaning toward creating a self-righteousness within our own heart that we're wearing the work boots. And God, you have to do this for me. This is about reciprocity. I've done this for you. Now you must do this for me. And woe to you and woe to me if we ever get to that place and that posture because many, many religious people do and they get to a place of joyless, a uh, sense of slavery to their own spiritual journey. They begin to simmer with a frustration that their good deeds aren't bringing in enough rewards and blessings from God. They're often accompanied by a judgmental attitude toward those that aren't following the rules or at least aren't following as well as they do. They become really irritated that the Father isn't holding those non-religious rebellious people anywhere near accountable as they would. And if those things begin to creep up in your thought life, and begin to creep up in your, your spiritual journey, friends, let that be a moment for you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. This, this notion of saying, I'm getting to a place where I'm, I'm fading, I'm beginning to forget how much I need the grace just as much as the people who might be out here who are labeled lost, I was one. Even though I might have been in proximity, I was the other kind of lost, distant, disconnected. Friends, we must, as folks who often come to church and who are followers of Jesus, we must make it uh, our priority to keep rooting out self-righteousness that wants to build up in our own hearts. For far too long, the church, not this church, but the church, has been seen as from a self-righteous posture. And it doesn't help those people, and it doesn't help anybody else, does it? Because it doesn't display the heart of the Father. That's what we'll look at next week. The heart of the Father that's on display. See, elder brothers tend to divide the world into two. It's the good people like us. Well, we're in. It's the bad people. Those are the real problem. They're out. But Jesus seems to define it that the humble are in. And it's the proud who are out. Luke 18, 14, Jesus said, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And the people who confess that they aren't particularly good, they're the ones who are actually moving in the direction of the Father because the prerequisite for receiving the grace of God is to recognize that you need it. And when you wear the work boots, you tend to not recognize that you need it because you've earned it. I'm working for it. And friend, your boots aren't big enough for a holy and perfect God and for you to catch his attention. Why? Because his attention is already on you. He loves you. And he longs to be in relationship with you. And that starts from a posture of humility. And so as a church, we want to commit to that kind of posture. The humble are in. It's the proud who are out. It's the posture of humility. So the question to wrestle with tonight is very simply this. Do you know how much you need the grace of God? Do you really? Do you truly know how much you, not the person next to you, but how much you need the grace of God? You don't want his justice. You will lose in that. You want his mercy. Thankfully, he is abundantly providing it. So do you recognize how much you need? Dallas Willard talked about that Christians should burn grace like a 747 burns fuel at takeoff. It's not grace for, okay, I, I, I receive the grace that I now start a relationship with God. It's, it's daily grace. I need God's grace for tomorrow and for the next day and for the next day. It's not God saving me once. It's God continually saving me from myself and my own brokenness and my own bad tendencies and my own issues that he hasn't quite fixed everything yet. Why? Because I don't have to show up fixed. I, I get to show up the real me. And he goes to work repairing and renewing me to be everything he's dreamt me and created me to be. See, the end of the younger son's story, it ends in celebration. He's invited in and he goes in. And what's fascinating with the elder brother, that's who the story was for. Back to verses 1 and 2 of Luke 15. That's the reason Jesus told the story of the lost sheep. That's the reason Jesus told the story of the lost coins. That's really the reason he told the story of the two sons. It was all a setup. And we don't even know the ending of the story. The father goes out to the elder son, won't you come in? And the story ends dot, dot, dot. We don't know. And Nicodemus got it right. He was a religious leader of the day. Remember his conversation in John chapter 3? I don't understand this whole thing. I got to be reborn. Like, I don't, help me understand this. And he began to, to kind of seek out Jesus. Do you know who was there to help take Jesus' body down from the cross? Nicodemus. Somewhere along the line, this Pharisee, this religious leader, got it. You know what? I've been wearing the work boots for a long time. And I've missed the relationship with the Father. 
I need grace just as much as everybody else. And he meets Jesus. And it changes his life. So the caution for us, as people who are followers of Jesus, seeking to be a disciple and apprentice of him, is stay close to the Father. Don't run, but don't settle for proximity just around. You want to be with. And let him bring the sandals of sonship and daughtership to say, won't you come in? See, the call still today is the heart of the Father is saying, won't you please come in? Won't you please come home? It's your choice. Do you know how much you need the grace of God? Not needed, but still need. So Father, that's what we pray. For everyone watching online, for those that are here in this room, for a lot of us, we've been followers of Jesus for a long time. May you help us root out any beginning inkling of self-righteousness that wants to creep up and grow and build in our own hearts. Where we start labeling it's, it's those people or it's them that need that. Where's your justice, God? And God, you are a just God. You still move in that. But may we be a people, ourselves, that owns the reality that I need the grace of Jesus every day, all day. And I need it just as much as anybody else. May we never move from that posture because it's that posture that allows us to find intimacy with the Father. We don't want to settle for proximity. We want intimacy and connection with the Father that your heart might be formed in us. God, our world so often puts off this posture of self-righteousness from a religious backdrop that just repels people. God, we're, we're tired of that. Would you nurture our hearts to be a people that are invited in and say yes to live as people of grace? We thank you for your reckless love that meets each one of us, no matter if we got track shoes or work shoes, you come to us and invite us in with your reckless love, extravagant invitation to find life with you. together and sing before I spoke a word you were singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me you yeah. 
been so, so kind to me. Sing it out. You know it. Don't deserve it Still you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming Never-ending Reckless love of God
99 I couldn't earn it And I don't deserve it But still you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming Never-ending Reckless love of God reckless love of God. May that never grow old. May it overwhelm you all the time. Every day, every week, month after month, year after year. It never becomes old hat. It just becomes deeper. More beautiful more captivating. I want to thank you for tuning in and being with us tonight. Um, Again, thank you to all of you who partner with us uh, financially, helping us be the church. Uh, We do giving around here a little bit different. We don't pass a plate, but we've got boxes in the back. A lot of folks give online or through the app, uh, and you can partner with us that way. I invite you a couple things. This reckless love of God is what we celebrate come Easter, which is two weeks away. And and here's my challenge to you. Uh, I'd love for you to pray about who in your life needs to understand that reckless love of God more, maybe for the first time. And and who could God leverage you to help invite? Uh, So many people, I think, are open, are open to being invited. Uh, it's been a crazy year. You realize last Easter we were all online, totally. Like everything was shut down. And, and there's still caution and, and reason to be. It's <clears throat> why we practice social distance here, encourage you to wear masks. But I think people are longing for something more and maybe no better moment in our immediate history to invite. And so invite someone to either tune in online with you or or to join you here. Uh, Wednesday, we're going to do another Zoom lunch at noon. If you want to hang out, uh, Zoom in. The info is on the app there. Uh, We've got serve teams that you can uh, join in and be a partner with that. Uh, One particular is our eKids Ministries. We kind of revamp and launch that fully come Easter. And so if you'd like to be a part of that team, just email us at info at elementcitychurch.org and Jen will get back out to you. Uh, I want to give a family update, kind of an Elements family update tonight uh, as we celebrate a a dear friend and a partner in ministry. Uh, My buddy Lyle here is been serving with Elements City Church, gosh, is it nine, ten, nine years? Something like that. Almost 12. I'm, okay, there we go. Uh, 12 years on a part-time role, and that changes in a week. Um, so 
We are excited to, uh, to have Lyle join our team as an associate pastor uh, here come full-time on March 29th. And so we're letting the church know that now. That has been in the works for the last six months or so, and the board has been working with that. Uh, and Lyle is one of our elders and our elder team, and we're excited to have him come on staff. Thank you again to all of you who partner with us. That's what makes this possible and, and helps us with that. So to those of you watching online and those of you here, uh, we're excited to celebrate him. And so he left Apple yesterday, and they gave him a clap out, which is they clapped for him on his way out of his last shift there. So I think we need to clap in uh, to say welcome uh, to you full time coming here. So. <clears throat> Lyle is going to continue to lead our worship team, uh, work with groups, kind of how we do uh, our e-groups and our discipleship groups. That's a, very much a part of his art. Helps us launch a college and career group that will start here in the fall, uh, working with trying to reach students at U of A uh, and elsewhere around the city. And so we're excited for, uh, and other duties as assigned. I'm excited about that part. So yeah, there you go. Um, uh, but we're excited to be in partnership uh, together, and, and thank you for that. So if you are brand new here in the house, we have a 10-minute party that's happening in about 30 seconds. I'd love to meet you there. Let me give you just a blessing as we leave from here tonight. Friends, whether you're online or whether you're on site, may the reckless love of God grip you, anchor you, and hold you this week ahead and in every week to come. God be with you.